0: This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication, which is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Steve Miner. He's a professor, author, and former director of the Contemporary History Institute at Ohio University. He's an international expert and specialist in recent Russia, Soviet, and East European history. He also is an award-winning author and just completed writing a book called The Furies Unleashed, The Soviet People at War 1941-1945. We're talking about the recent Helsinki summit and other current Trump-Putin relationships. We've gone through uh, a historic time with the Helsinki summit and other events related to Russia. Um, I know one of your many specialties is Russia. Um, Give us some context of what we saw. I mean did we we see – Something that is as historic as the media is making it out to be or as unprecedented? Try to give us some context.
1: I wish we knew. Of course, there was a meeting between Putin and Trump that took place over the space of two hours, and the only person present was the translator or the interpreter, and so we don't know what actually they said. Uh, It's not uncommon, by the way, for presidents to meet one-on-one with Soviet or Russian leaders. Roosevelt did it. uh, Reagan did it. Uh, What's unusual is at the end of these meetings, they usually come out and say, these are the things we agreed on, these are the things we didn't agree on, or we had frank and fair discussions or whatever term they use. Uh, But Putin didn't do do it and neither did Trump. Uh, They didn't list the things that they'd actually discussed or any conclusions that they'd reached. Instead, Trump came out and said, we'd reached a bunch of agreements and left it at that. And of course, then he was questioned and made this notorious comment about how he didn't he assumed that it wouldn't be Russia that had interfered in the American elections. So that, that's unprecedented. Certainly, meeting is not unprecedented. Discussions are not unprecedented. They're fairly common. What is uncommon is the nature of the man conducting the discussions.
0: Also, and his manner, the the manner, yeah. the, the the almost uh, in the presence of Putin. Now, these are m- my words, but uh, at least an appearance of almost submissive. Yeah, yes. In in body language, if I were just observing the two of them, it was very clear who the dominant one was of the pair.
1: Which is strange, isn't it? Because Trump assumes that he's always the alpha male in the room, and it's even stranger given the stark contrast with the way he behaved leading up to the summit, because he jawboned the NATO allies and he told. Uh, Mrs. May about her business in Brexit and suggested that Boris Johnson would be a fine prime minister and any number of things. And he's certainly not shy about telling people what he thinks when he wants to confront them. And then he says, well, it will be easy dealing with Putin and he goes and puts on the performance that you just described. It's very odd. Uh, There are a number of different explanations for it. One is – one that's quite plausible is that – it's a neuralgic point, the idea of the Russians interfering in the election because it undermines his claim to have carried out this magnificent victory and he can't admit that the Russians might have taken part because he thinks – and probably there's something to it – that his political enemies will use this to say, see, he's there because the Russians elected him.
0: So to make the presidency – his right. presidency illegitimate to
1: right. … Uh, there is the conspiracy theory, which, in you know the case of Trump, may be true, that Putin has some kind of dirt on him, whether it's financial transactions or whatever from from the past, and there he's, therefore he's soft peddling with Putin. That's plausible, but nothing has emerged to confirm it. Um, there are other plausible explanations, which is that he this is this is his way of doing the art of the deal, as he would describe it, of. Uh, soft-soaping uh, dictator. He he seems to do this with dictators, by the way, not not with political, not with democratic <laughs> <Right>. counterparts, but <laughs> not with, with dictators. Merkel or right or May or others. No, but instead with uh, Kim Jong Un and 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 uh, Duterte in the Philippines, who's dem- democratically elected, but he's and Erdogan in Turkey. and Erdogan. So he talks nicely to them, uh, and I've heard it argued by the Trump supporters that this is his way of saying, look, we're dealing with you in a tough way, which to some degree they are with Russia under, underneath the surface. But we're still open to a deal and this, this isn't personal, it's just business. I don't know which of those scenarios is the accurate one. Uh, your guess is as good as mine and I think it's one of those things historians will only know when they are eventually able to read the, the papers. I do know that it surprises his staff. He's constantly surprising them with his initiatives and his statements and uh, surprising and appalling them in this case. We talked before about uh, Putin's
0: way of um, striking nerves with mm. people and it, and I believe you told us the story of him bringing in his large dog <laughs> <Yes>. with <laughs> Angela Merkel who's afraid of dogs. Uh, this time – he came in with a pad Mm -hmm. and pen looking like, okay, I'm prepared and we're going to do business my way. And of course, Trump came in with
1: nothing. Uh, Was that part of the game playing? I'm sure it is. And I'm also sure that the fact that he came an hour late was part of the games playing. He's done this before. He did it with President Obama and he did it with Merkel and he's done it with others where he shows up late and makes them wait and it puts them on the wrong foot. So yeah, he he plays games like that and uh, what can you say? Uh, Trump believes that he, he as, as he's told us, he has a fine mind and he can remember everything that has been said, although his his memory seems to vary from
0: time to time. Moment to moment sometimes. Okay, so let's go back and 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 look at this what was to be gained by this summit. You, you always look at big picture and, and I mean,
1: was there any purpose of it? You know, we don't know yet what kind of advance work went into this. There are certainly reasons to talk to the Russians. There are a lot of reasons to talk to the Russians. Um, starting in the East, there's North Korea. North Korea has a small but important border with Russia. We're trying to pressure the North Koreans into surrendering their nuclear weapons. Uh, Maybe there's progress on that front, maybe not, but certainly the Russians can throw a monkey wrench into the works if they choose to. So there's that. Uh, there are questions of uh, Central Asia and politics in Central Asia in the f- in the former republics of the Soviet Union that are now independent, but are in some cases oil rich. Are certainly targets of Chinese expansion and American business involvement, British business involvement. Uh, Turkey, the question of Turkey. The Turks are sidling up to the Russians. The Turks are NATO members, but they're talking about buying weaponry from the Russians. They're certainly involved in the Syria mess. And and are not at all happy with the way the Amer- the Turks are, and and, are, and the Kurdish mess and the Kurdish which mess as well. Long
0: been a historical problem. I know
1: it's it's the problem from hell, Syria, yeah. because there's so many sides and all the sides uh, conflict. Uh, but the Russians, of course, are involved in Syria, and we have an interest in in Syria because the, the Iranians are involved there. The Iranians are have, fighting a low level war with. Israel, which is, of course, one of our allies. Uh, we don't want to see it become a base for Iranian influence and, and attacks on Israel. So there's that. Uh, in Europe, we have uh, confrontations with the Russians or concerns anyway, um, with NATO expansion, with countries such as Montenegro, which we can come back to because, of yes. course, Putin mentioned <laughs> that – uh, uh, Trump, Trump, Trump mentioned yeah. that. But uh, they tried to carry out – the Russians tried to carry out a coup in Montenegro. Uh, They've been interfering in the negotiations between Macedonia and Greece. Greece, of course, is a NATO ally as is Macedonia. So there there are uh, conflicts all over the place and including in the Western Hemisphere, by the way. The Russians have become involved with Venezuela, once again with Nicaragua, with Ortega who's become quite violent and clinging to power. Uh, the Russians have decided that their best interests are served in being, if you will, the anti-America, uh, that they can be, as they as they would say, it, a balancing power against American, American power. And so they've assembled this coalition of, if you will, the misfit toys of countries that are out of favor with most of the rest of the world and they've kind of backed them. They haven't been all that successful, by the way. We shouldn't get too – worried about it. But uh, there are reasons to talk to them about all of these things and more. Uh, there's the, the pipeline going into Germany, which is going to supply an enormous proportion of the gas to to Central Europe. Uh, that's an economic issue, which the Russians have used in the past for political favors. There's the question of the Baltic states, of, of, of the defense of the Baltic states, against which the Russians have some claims. We have a lot of things to talk about with them, whether or not the preparation was done carefully, or well, whether uh, Trump th- is the person to do it. That's, that, those are. That's
0: what questions. I wanted to get to. Also, the the preparation. You you've studied this and 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 looked at it, and it it is apparent that before summits of this magnitude, that there is so much staff preparation. There are so many meetings by top people, secretaries of state, or even underlings to to that in preparation for these meetings. It appears that very little of that was done with this. And if some news reports can be believed, uh, you know, I heard one report that a 100-page briefing document was given to Trump, which – uh, people allege that he didn't read. Um, this seems to be a summit, though, that took place without the traditional preparation. Is that is that accurate?
1: I think there are two separate questions: Did they prepare, and A and B? Did Trump? read or obey the preparations. I think the preparations were there. You referred to this 100-page document. I think that the spade work was probably done by the organizations that the United States constantly runs and that they were operating at full bore. Whether Trump took notice of these things is something else. He's notoriously impatient about reading things. And uh, he, he said that he doesn't need to read the briefings. He's actually said these things because, of course, he understands the issues so well. So I suspect he was not that briefed. But again, you know, there is – Trump is an odd fellow and he's, he breaks the rules in any number of ways. But there's historical precedent also for presidents being skeptical of the State Department. Um, Roosevelt tried to deal directly with Stalin and circumvent the State Department in some cases. He called them the striped pants crowd. Uh, <laughs> and um, Obama called the foreign policy making apparatus the blob and tried to circumvent them to deal with Iran. So there's, it's not that unusual to do that. Okay. Uh, what's unusual is his manner and, and his manner of going about these things. No other person has uh, so, so fully praised a dictator <laughs> the way – and Putin is a dictator. Uh, he, you know, he, yeah, he's even elected but the elections have been largely a sham. Uh, and he goes out of his way to be nice, not to negotiate with or say, look, we have, we have reasons to talk but to praise the man, which is unusual.
0: We don't know what went on in that two-hour meeting. Um, What we have learned over the less than a week that we've had to analyze this mostly comes from Russian Mm -hmm. news sources, not American news sources. We hear that the American military hasn't been briefed, Uh, The uh, State Department hasn't been briefed. Uh, Certainly the head of the uh, national intelligence uh, has not been briefed. Putin is briefing his people from what I understand. He had ambassadors in and various aspects of of government. That just seems striking to me. Mm am uh, i blowing that out of proportion
1: no I don't think you are I think that uh, again trump has has broken the rules on on these sorts of things now his admirers were say of course he breaks the rules the, the rules were bad the rules constrained America the rules are old-fashioned the cold war is over why are we even having uh, discussions about Russia as being a threat um, Russia is is no longer the threat, and I think we've talked about this before. Right. Russia no longer poses the threat it did during during the Cold War. I think that's it's, it's a. Its economy
0: phantom. is is right. is dismal and. Its in. its
1: army is in trouble. Its economy is dismal. Demographically, it's declining. It doesn't have allies. It doesn't occupy the center center of Europe. There are any number of reasons why it's not the right. threat it once was. But nonetheless, it's it's even even um, President Trump in his. Uh, Comments before the, the the summit called it a rival or a competitor. I guess is competitor. The term yeah. So it's a competitor. It's not. It's not, not, a, now, foe, not, not a, a foe, but, but not a foe, but a competitor. Well, uh, I think Putin probably looks at it quite differently. He does always talk about his American partners. He's very careful about that. He doesn't call us his enemy, but he certainly acts as though we are in many cases. And I think we have to be careful about. Russia and Russia's designs. Russia right now is in occupation of territory of three of its neighbors. It's conducting an ongoing war against Ukraine. It's threatening uh, members uh, of NATO, the, the Baltic states. It's scared Finland and Sweden so much that they're, they're having serious discussions for the first time of joining NATO. Uh, so this is not a country that you just ignore and nor is it, as President Obama once said, a regional power. It's a, it's a, it's an international power. It has a navy. It has nuclear weapons that uh, could destroy the United States in, in short order. And it has an army that's the largest army in Europe. So it's not something that you ignore or simply wave away and say, well, the Cold War is over. It's an authoritarian power with revanchist aims and uh, it needs to be watched yes you can cooperate with it in, in some ways but it's not a country that we see as, as a peaceful ally Should nor should we so we've seen a pattern with President
0: Trump he attacked Canada and mm-hmm. uh, the g7 before he went to north uh, went to Malaysia Singapore I should say uh, for the uh, uh, summit with North Korea. The days leading up to his meeting with Putin were were just off the charts with attacks on our oldest allies, Germany primarily and, and as you and mentioned, Britain. Great Britain and the United Kingdom. Is that just his style? Can we read in any logical reasoning to doing that? Was this to say to Putin, look, um, I can be your friend? Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, Well, if he is, if he's saying that to Putin, he's saying it in a very weird and slapdash fashion because one of the reasons he castigated the Germans was over the pipeline deal that they've signed with the Russians. And he said, this is helping Putin. And how can you do that? Just before he goes to Putin and says we have no quarrel with you, so uh, and he's 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 urged the NATO partners to spend more on defense against whom you might ask. Uh, that's certainly not in Russia's interest. Uh, the Trump government has changed the Obama policy and sent uh, lethal weaponry to Ukraine. It has upped the sanctions against Russia. It has, in in the case of Syria, killed 200 Russian mercenaries. Uh, so in, on, on the one hand, there are these fairly stern measures that the government has taken and on the other hand you've got Mr. Trump saying these things that seem to be at variance with the things that his state is doing now having said that you say you know is Putin is Trump just shooting from the hip i think Trump does have certain ideas they look very odd if you compare them with american political traditions for example nato has been a bedrock of american security for the last 50 60 years right Uh, and and rightly so in my view. Well, he's been consistently a critic of NATO. He was a critic of NATO before he became president. So having him be a critic when he gets into power is only surprising if we thought that power would somehow change him. He was an advocate of tariffs for since – they've got video of him from the 1970s – and 80s anyway, not 70s – advocating tariffs and talking about how the trade deficit is hurting the United States. So – Trade tariffs are not a surprise. Uh, What's a surprise is the the bull in a China shop, the way he's going about all of these things all at once with no idea of how the connections are made. Do you really want to attack and and put tariffs on European and Canadian goods when you need their cooperation against the Chinese who are taking our our, uh, technical ideas and are sort of pirating American patents? In other words, do you want to attack everything all at once? there's no moderation about the man there 's no sense of order there 's no sense of process he 's got he's got sentiments he 's got ideas but there's it 's slapdash in the application i don't i don 't necessarily agree with the ideas that he 's got, but he was elected on them. He was elected on a protectionist agenda he was elected on an american first agenda almost uh, an isolationist agenda. isolationist. Uh, hostility to to immigration, uh, a sort of hostility to globalism. These things he's carried on into office, uh, but he's done it in, like I say, this bull in a china shop uh, fashion that it's as much his manner as anything else that is – we find so startling and I I think counterproductive to be honest because if you attack every problem all at once, you don't solve any of them. (laughs) And, and you need coalitions, you need cooperation with one set of people that you might have differences with in order to deal with a country with which you have greater differences. And he has no sense of how the pieces come together, it seems to me anyway. Do you th-
0: have a sense that he knows the flames he is uh, emboldened in Europe by some of his anti-immigration re- rhetoric that it's – killing the culture of Europe, which sounds to me as code of, uh, you know, you're letting in all these people of color and, right. and it's ruining Germany and Great Britain. I mean, that that rhetoric, uh, I'm old enough to, that it still sort of chills me.
1: It's disturbing. Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, I, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does know it. Uh, but this is something that I think runs deep in him, This sense that uh, immigration is a problem rather than an asset. I don't know that he's – it's, it's pretty clear he has not studied American history and, <laughs> um, and the benefits that we've derived out of immigration. Now, he says he wants a big door and an open door, and but he wants to shut down illegal immigration. Okay. Um, that's maybe true, uh, but but – the, as you say the rhetoric is something else and people hear what he says and they draw the appropriate conclusions from it and and the hostility to immigration in europe first of all what is it by way of business of an american president to go to germany and tell them what their immigration <laughs> policy should be right or the british or even for that great matter. britain right? yeah now the british i think uh, brexit was was voted through in part because of concerns about uncontrolled immigration but you're right, he's fanning the flames. And I think, I think he sees the people who support the nationalist governments in Eastern Europe, Brexit in, Europe, in, in Britain, as being in some ways kin to, to his way of thinking. Emotional allies, if you will. We'll be back
0: after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry but to produce innovative leaders. These leaders will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research on communication concepts, issues, and problems. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provides benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Being a historian and being a researcher and also being an author— I know words are very important to you and you study how words have been put together by leaders historically. We seem to have these uh, statements and then panic walkbacks, (laughs) uh, not only of what he said at the press conference uh, about whether he believed Russia was involved in in the uh, elections, but then uh, other walk backs as well. But to have an American president stand and say, you know, it's really an intriguing and um, incredible idea to have our citizens and our past officials be sent to Russia for interrogation. I mean, well,
1: uh, the, uh, I, I don't think he was going to send them to Russia. To be fair, I think the idea was to send Russians here to interrogate them here. But still, either way, either way, it's it's an <laughs> extraordinary thing. Uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. It, it, look, this is Putin playing the game, which I I suppose if you or I were in his shoes and and had his cards to play, (laughs) you'd play as well, which is, okay, you're pressing me on interference in elections. I'm going to press back and say there are people who've interfered in our politics and here's the people and we want to interview them, knowing that the, uh, the American president would of course say no, at which point he says, well, we offered. But but, but hey, he but didn't. Trump didn't say no. Uh, he, he didn't say At least yes not either. initially. I mean, not, not initially. It, it won't happen. I I can't imagine the circumstances under which it would happen. But to even entertain the notion that KGB people or RSV people should come, should come to the United States and interview a former ambassador on on a case that is. It it relates to Bill Browder. I don't know if you the case. And, of course, Bill Browder is accused by the Russians of some kind of tax problem when when what he really was involved in was uh, revealing shenanigans, economic shenanigans, which got his partner, Magnitsky, murdered. Murdered, And And so they've they've wanted to shut him up ever since and they've been harassing him around the world trying to send out Interpol warrants and so forth. So – I don't know if Trump knew who Bill Browder was, but if he did, he should know that this is Russian dirty tricks that he's in somehow somehow equ- uh, making equivalent to the Russian involvement in American but elections. But if if we can also look back though to or look internally to
0: the American political scene, it seems to me that that was the one thing that everybody could rally around to be against. I mean, there was a. Yesterday, there was a 98 to 0 vote on an unbinding resolution in the U.S. Senate saying that American – certainly American officials, but Americans should not be subjected
1: uh, uh, to this. And there was also a vote which was similarly lopsided in favor of NATO. And you you wouldn't think we'd have to vote in favor (laughs) of NATO, but there you have it. Also in rhetoric – We
0: have this issue of Montenegro. Now, putting this in context, it was the leader of Montenegro that at the first – what was it, the G7 uh, uh, that he pushed out of the way to to get to the front of the the photograph. But basically, just from a lay point of view, he's been saying uh, since the summit – and well, look at NATO and look at all the members and and look at this little country of montenegro and they're aggressive people <laughs> to they're they're, they're they're we can't they're gonna go out and do something. Really aggressive and really stupid, and we in the United States are going to have to defend them. Now, well, do you want to do that? There's a that, long,
1: long history of Montenegrin conquests. But, but uh, <laughs> it, it's 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 got 650,000 people in it. It's it's got it's back to the Adriatic Sea. Here are some ironies. It was admitted to NATO under Trump. <laughs> uh, irony too, it's it has it's only 650,000 people, which is roughly the same size as the state of Vermont. It has troops in Afghanistan cooperating with the American war in Afghanistan. So insofar as NATO has been invoked to get people to fight, it's on behalf of the United States and the Montenegrins have helped. Um, I know Tucker Carlson interviewed, uh, I, I didn't Trump. hear the interview, but I read about the interview. He interviewed Trump on, on this question and said, why should my son die for Montenegro? Well, when, when you pose a question like that, I have a son. You don't want to see your son die for any, I don't want to see my son die for Cleveland. <laughs> um, I might want to see my son fight for American independence or to stop Nazism or to stop an invasion of Europe. I wouldn't want to see him die under any circumstances. That's not the way to pose the question. The question is, is your son more likely to die if you don't have NATO to deter war? Or is he more likely to die if those crazy Montenegrins invade who are they going to invade Russia? They don't even have a border with Russia. Uh, the notion that somehow they, the Montenegrins are aggressive is laughable. They have no industry. They have no army to speak of. They have no real territorial claims against their neighbors. They certainly have no quarrel with Russia except for the fact that Russia tried to carry out a coup two years ago in Montenegro, which blew up in their faces. So – the. To to pick on little Montenegro just is extraordinary. And and uh, and and,
0: uh, and, the, and again the optics the, that, the Montenegrin leader was the one Trump pushed out of the way. Talk about an you aggressive people. Uh, you couldn't make this up. You 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 really couldn't. All right, let's sh- let's shift gears now. And this week that was, we have Maria Butina, an unregistered alleged unregistered Russian agent translated spy in the United States with this alleged purpose of involving herself with politicians and major donor groups to do what? To influence the election is part of the uh, allegations. Where does this fit into the whole picture? Yeah, uh, it, this, this
1: seems to be sort of an outlier, but maybe not. Look, I, uh, it, to see this thing from the point of view of the Russians – and from Putin, which which, by the way, aren't the same thing. Uh, The Putin government – and I I think I've argued this in the past – follows a policy of regime interest rather than national interest.
0: Trevor Burrus As does Trump,
1: as As some would Uh, argue. You're right. Uh, But but certainly the Russian – it seems to me that Russian national interest would be in favor of economic cooperation, integration into Europe, the ratcheting down of conflicts, uh, less spending on defense and any number of things. But Putin's got a rather different point of view. He wants to defend his regime and his regime right now has a certain amount of popularity in Russia but that's because there's not really a viable alternative. That popularity can be evanescent. It can go away very fast. And we've seen any number of cases where that's happened in, right. in world history. And he knows that and he's of course uh, served a government that seemed to be incredibly powerful, the Soviet Union, and disappeared in the space of a few years. So he knows this. Uh, so he, he's defending regime interest and, and his the threat to his regime is his own people and and civil society and the fact that civil society could rise up as it has done in other countries and with you know so-called people power or whatever you want to call it, sweep away an unpopular government. Now, he's seen the United States since the collapse of the Soviet Union get involved in – and American organizations, I should say, not just the American government, but get involved in promoting democracy in Russia, promoting civil society. Uh, these things have been, uh, I think, Beneficial to Russians generally, uh, but Putin sees this as the thin end of a wedge of Western influence to unseat him and to keep Russia, in his view, weak by by getting rid of authoritarian government. So you ask the question: Where does Putin come in? Where do yeah. the, 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 he sees this as as saying, "I can do this to you too. I can interfere in your politics." So he's he's he's. And they do it in a very ham-fisted fashion, uh, in part because they don't understand democratic politics. Uh, but the NRA, of course, is a divisive group. It has its supporters. It has its detractors. But supporting arguments over gun control heats up the American political environment. Uh, he supported secession movements in Texas and California. Well, you know, there's not a whole lot of hope for <laughs> Texas secession in the near future. I lived in Texas. I love Texas, but I don't think it's going to secede from the union too soon. Uh, but pouring money into highlighting things like Ferguson and Black Lives Matter and, and the kind of weak joints that they see in American politics and society, that you can somehow use Russian influence, such as it is, to heighten those uh, contradictions trigger and, points, and, and like trigger second, points like second exactly. amendment, gun
0: control, uh, probably exactly. abortion, uh, mm-hmm. various regional issues,
1: uh, as and above. authoritarian Russians genuinely believe that American democracy is a sham; that it's it's all a show for the for the the people. That really uh, oligarchs run things behind the scenes, and if you can reveal this by hacking into emails and publishing them and saying, look, they're as sorted as we are. If he can lower democracy to the same level as Putin's authoritarianism, you can say, see, we're actually better off because not only do we not make a pretense of being actually democratic but we're more efficient than these uh, oligarchs in the West, the corrupt oligarchs. Trevor it, it all appears to be uh, from him. Putin's
0: point of view, a a win-win. Yes, yeah. Uh, He's he's got us spending two years Mm -hmm. uh, investigating uh, what went
1: on for a Uh, very small investment. It
0: it has um, uh, certainly Mm -hmm. heightened uh, discord within the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has uh, cemented partisanship. uh, beyond what i thought could already yes yeah <laughs> i never thought it could be more partisan but it it certainly is all of these things just um it's like chinking away at something right it, 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 as opposed to a full-blown frontal assault mm-hmm. is is do i have it right is yeah it? yeah okay. the,
1: um, look uh, um, if you have a campaign against another state uh, you don't just fire one weapon at them. You fire a number of different weapons, and mm-hmm. this is one: the information war. Uh, this is why you have RT, which used to be called Russia today, but now has sort <laughs> like K- K- Kentucky Fried Chicken became KFC. Uh, well, this became RT in order to obscure its connections with Russia. But you know the connections there, and and they're they're trying to fight. They see the information. World as being slanted in favor of the Anglo-Americans, and it is. Uh, CNN and the BBC and other American outlets have far more pull in the United States in the world than RT. Yeah, and and so they see this as their, their way of getting their arguments in and getting their foot in uh, into the door. Uh, so th- they see this as as, as playing catch up, really. So. Uh, 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 I'm sorry you sound like a
0: conspiracy theorist, and that, that really scares me. <laughs> but but somebody like Maria Butina, um, is she disposable to the Putin administration and say, OK, uh, uh, if she gets caught, no big deal. It's just going to cause more fervor or fur, but a furor. Uh it's going to cause more chaos. Yeah. And, and she doesn't mean a whole lot to us anyway.
1: I think that, that's not a conspiracy theory. I think that's normal intelligence okay. trade crap. Okay. Uh, I think what you might see is if she's convicted, somewhere down the line there will be a quiet trade between her and – if past patterns are anything to judge yeah. by. And as I've said before, Trump – uh, throws the patterns out the window. But in the past, we've made trades. I mean, there are, there are people that the United States wants that are in Russia. Edward Snowden, for example. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that she's a big enough fish to get to, to catch an Edward Snowden. But I suspect the Russians have gotten everything they want out of Snowden by now, and they, they'd be willing to trade him for something. Uh, they're fairly cynical, uh, the Russians. <laughs> uh, and, and, and actually, you know, if you talk to some Russians, they're quite proud of the cynicism because they think that cynicism is realism. That's hard to argue
0: against sometimes. (laughs) Um, Now just yesterday and uh, we're talking on Friday, this was uh, Thursday, uh, while his (laughs) head of intelligence is speaking at a security forum in Aspen uh, on live television. Seemingly out of nowhere, Trump uh, uh, in the White House leaked that John Bolton has been assigned with the task to bring Vladimir Putin to Washington in the Oval Office uh, this fall uh, for round two of this. The first uh, one having gone so well. Yeah, <laughs> round two of 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 this continual saga. Uh, if if I were Republican on the ballot this fall, um, in any kind of any kind of race, uh, I'd be thinking, "Whoa, whoa wait a second! Why, why did why did you do this? Because if if Putin comes before the election, mm, that's not good. If I'm a Republican running." If Putin comes after the election, then the whole election season is going to be building up to his visit. So if I'm an office holder, I'm going to say this is a lose lose. Uh, and some me. have already
1: yeah. for me. So why then? Why? Why? Well, again, I think this goes back to my. I, I, I hate to talk about Trump because I'm, I'm a Russian specialist, not a I know, Trump, not, know, not, a Trump, not an American specialist. But he doesn't seem to see how the pieces connect, uh, and, and I think that goes back to what I'm saying. He has he has emotions, he has ideas, he has notions of what he wants to do, but he doesn't see how one piece is going to affect the other piece on pieces on the board. And in this Which case. Is, Contrary to Putin, you've, you've told us in oh, the past, Putin, yeah. Putin is a master at, at knowing all the pieces on the board. I, do, I think to, Putin is a very good tactician. I think I also said in our earlier discussions, he's not a great grand strategist because right. the policy he's following for Russia, I think, is a, ultimately a dead end. But tacti- tactically, he's very adept, and he's very adept at using other people's mistakes against them, and as he did, as we saw in Helsinki. So he benefited certainly from that. Um yeah. There is a growing sentiment on the right in the United States. I was reading articles in preparation for this discussion about uh, uh, Russia, which is sympathetic to Putin. There is a a strand and it's quite a growing strand amongst uh, rightists in the United States to argue that Putin is an anti-globalist. He's a man who stands up for his country. Uh, he's a man who stands up against uh, the Europe which a lot of people on the right see as a sort of neo-communism or you know a, a Leviathan if you will yeah. um, uh, internationalist globalist uh, they see Merkel as being at the center of that internationalist web um, Putin makes nice with the Russian Orthodox Church I could go into some detail about that. He's he comes from the old KGB. He's he was born and raised an atheist. I don't think anything's changed there. But he at least has has sidled up to the Russian Orthodox and Church and he sees its role in his he maneuvering. He does, and and he's positioned himself as a defender of traditional family values against the licentiousness and uh, liberalism and libertinism of the West. Hence the LGBT
0: attacks uh, uh, and, and and all right.
1: of all of that. In, on the very right of the social uh right spectrum they'll say he's but standing up against the gay agenda as they've they've said but so these things make putin an attractive character to 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 some people on the right and uh there is in 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 right wing history going back to before the second world war a tradition to say let the world sort out its problems we should uh, follow an america first policy and trump has very deliberately uh, played to that, that group and, and that group has grown and it's grown in part because people are impatient. Uh, the Cold War is over and they don't see why we should – as Tucker Carlson said, why should my son fight for Montenegro? They don't realize that we have been involved in European politics from the outset. Uh, we have fought two world wars because of uh, – as, as to quote Bismarck, some damn foolish thing in the Balkans. uh, (laughs) uh, Who disposes of Europe is of national security interest to the United States. We cannot uh, exist as a democracy and as a thriving democracy in a world where uh, Europe and, and Asia are dominated by a single power. Uh, we've inherited that from the the British, and we want to we, we thrive in a country of, in a world of democracies. And I, I think this is probably the most upsetting thing about Trump's tour of Europe is he doesn't feel in his bones this sense of kinship with of other democratic states. Sure, we have differences. Uh Merkel's not my favorite character for a number of reasons. Um, May seems to be uh, Teresa May in Britain seems to be, um, horribly ineffective at running a government if for any number of reasons. And you can be critical of, of this or that thing they do, but they are democracies. And we, we uh, that kinship is important. It's something that most presidents up to Trump understood almost instinctively. And Trump doesn't see that. He sees the world as a country – a, a world as a set of nations following their own uh, interests.
0: and And an affinity, at least uh, from my point of view – with strongman dictators. Sure. You can talk to them. That, you can that do business fits with them. into that pattern if, that you're talking about. If
1: you don't see other countries' domestic uh, arrangements, uh, that is, are they democracies or are they not? If you don't see that as a determining factor, then it's only a matter of who are you dealing with as a person? Who are you dealing with as a leader? And it seems to be that, uh, that Trump doesn't really place a very high value on the fact that our allies are democracies. And yet that's been the key, in my view anyway, this is editorializing, but uh, that's been the key to our success for 50, 60 years is uh, America has is a powerful country on its own, but it's much more powerful and its power is much more magnified because we have had coalitions of mutual interests with other democratic countries. He doesn't feel that in his bones. It's clear he doesn't feel that. When he says it's more easy to deal with Putin than it is with Theresa May, well, no, it's not. <laughs> The
0: rise of—we're talking about the uh, uh, maybe unusual alliance between the right in this country and and Putin. Um, the rise of the right and far right in Europe. Does Putin
1: see that as to his advantage? Oh, definitely. Not only does he see it to his advantage; he's he's helped to bankroll it. He's sent money to some of these organizations. Uh, notably, to, to talk about that for a moment, is this something that, that it's always
0: on the back burner, but it's something that's simmering. Is it something sure. that
1: should be of growing concern? If you were a Russian president and you weren't, cons- you're concerned about preserving your power and extending the power of Russia, mm-hmm. uh, then what is stands in the way of that? To some degree, it is this. Uh, Western cooperation. If you can deal with countries one-on-one instead of as a group, Russian power is predominant in Europe. Uh, Russia has 20,000 tanks. Up until a couple of years ago, the United States had removed all of its tanks, had none in Europe. Uh, the Germans have a, a few hundred, but only uh, – uh, there was a recent report that said only uh, a couple score are operational at any given time. Wow. So you have 20,000 tanks and nothing to stand between them and the English Channel essentially. Uh, other than – the guarantee of NATO, the economic might of of the United States and European community together and ultimately the check that the United States gives to Europe to say if you're attacked, we're in it with you and of course the n- nuclear weapon question. Decouple the United States from Europe. Smash NATO and deal with the countries individually and Russia is far and away the most powerful country in Europe or on the, oh, on the Eurasian continent with the exception of the Chinese. So certainly it's in his interest to promote nationalist parties, parties that don't want to cooperate with other states, parties that want to follow their own separate national instant, interests and perhaps cooperate with Russia. Less interested he is in, in cooperating with these people than simply having them argue amongst themselves. Similar to what what he is did in the American politics exactly. With the American it seems like If you the, can sow division and argument amongst your rivals then you are comparably stronger. He's got to know that his hand economically is weak. He's got to know that. He, know, he can read demographics. It's not just people like me who can read these things. I'm sure he's informed about them all the time. And I'm sure he's concerned about Russia's declining power. Well, what do you do when you're concerned about the declining power? You look at ways of weakening your enemies or your rivals. And so he's playing on the division between Erdogan and the rest of Europe. He's playing on the divisions between Orbán and the European Community. He's playing on the, on, the, on Brexit and and on Marine Le Pen in in France. And he's he's helped to support these people.
0: Never in my lifetime did I think that I'd see a, a viable Nazi
1: party again in Germany. <laughs> yeah. Well. No. Yeah. Uh, they don't call themselves that but. no,
0: they, they don't, but uh, the, AFD. The, the the alliance is 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 there. One last thing, and that is trying to understand this from a Russian perspective, which is the perspective I always ask you for. We, we've talked about Europe, we've talked about the dissension here in the United States. What's Russia's role with China? I understand China is certainly making major investments in Africa. China has become the the world's banker. China China has become (laughs) – believe it or not, the world's climate change (laughs) advocate. that's the, is that a check and balance on, on Putin at all? D- does he fear China? Is he looking over his shoulder with China? Where does that relationship?
1: Yeah, I, I, one of my old advisors in my graduate program said, never for a minute think that Russian and Chinese cooperation is going to be long-lasting. They have an awful lot of flashpoints. Uh, for one thing, they have disputed borders in, in the Far East, along the rivers in the Far East. For another, after the collapse of the Soviet Union and the independence of all the countries in Central Asia, they are rivals over the resources in that region. Um, however, having said those – and then there are other things. So there's this sort of Belt and Road policy that the Chinese are trying to follow, which is trying to stick uh, push tentacles into that region that would then reach overland routes to Europe and to, to um, southern Asia. These things can't be looked at in Moscow with uh, calm. Because if they think NATO is intruding on Russian geostrategic interests that 's like nothing compared to what the Chinese are going to do in in Central Asia, and these are areas where russia 's really quite Russian interests are weak and and the ability to defend them is weak so there are a number of places where competition could become quite heated. having said that, America has sort of pushed them together instead of working to divide them. Uh, we have a number obviously of this is my point earlier about attacking all of enemies or all of rivals or all your problems yeah, all at once. At once. Um, We have trouble with the Chinese, uh, their their violation of copyright and patents and predatory policy, trade policy. valid
0: issues with trade.
1: Yeah, Yeah. the the Europeans have the same problem. Instead of working with the Europeans to deal with that, which is a major problem, instead we attack the Europeans and the Chinese all at once and get everybody mad, which has driven the Chinese and the Europeans together of all things. It's done the same thing with Putin. Um, Putin we have problems with and we have problems with the Chinese and their territorial demands in the South China Sea and the fact they pushed this line right out to the Philippine coast that they claim to be their territorial waters. And we have problems with their trade but we also have reasons we want to cooperate with them. We're trying to get them to cooperate over North Korea at the same time that we're slapping tariffs on their aluminum. (laughs) And and you, you think, does nobody stand back and say, what are our priorities here? Uh, right. Yeah, sure. They're they're predatory in their trade policies, but are you really going to stick your thumb in their eye when you want their cooperation on something else? Uh, th- this seems to be the art of the deal by piecemeal rather than rather than uh, comprehensive. Uh, art of the deal. A comprehensive art of the deal would say, look, where are our interests? A master what, plan. What are kind our of, most important yeah. ones and what should we concentrate on and who can we work with to get those interests, even if we don't like those people? You have to have coalitions with people you have objections to in order to achieve other ends. That's what doesn't seem to be de- being done under the Trump administration.
0: One last area, and I always give you the chance to, to talk to us. What should we as uh, average citizens lay people out there? be looking at maybe the next six months or the next year in, in Sino-American <laughs> – used to be uh, – Russian-American relations? What, what should we be really
1: paying attention to? I would like to see what is done with Ukraine. Um, Putin apparently floated the idea of having a plebiscite in East Ukraine. That sounds great until you realize, well, who's going to monitor it? Who's going to run it? Are, they, are the people who shot down the Malaysian airliner going to be the people who count the ballots? Um, what does what does this do with a policy of cooperation with Kiev? What does it do to the Minsk agreement that the Russians and the Ukrainians have signed on to? Um, so in other words, do we just uncritically accept something that Putin offers without, again, looking at how it connects yeah. with the other things? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one point. Another thing would be Syria. I, I, uh, certainly, uh, President Trump has expressed his desire to get the Americans out of Syria. But if you get Americans out of Syria precipitously, the, the last time we did this, uh, last time we got out of Iraq, Iraq, we got, of course, ISIS. Uh, do you really want a, a, an arc of Iranians stretching all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea? Um, do you want Syria united under what is a pretty nasty – Dictatorship, yeah. and do you want to just simply throw the Kurds, who have been our allies for what twenty years now? Do you want to throw them to the wolves? Um, we have to, to have to see what Mr. Uh, Trump will do in, in these sorts of things. Is there going to be some kind of deal with Putin that throws people who have cooperated with the United States to the wolves?
0: And the Iranian influence in in the region uh, growing yes. and and uh, volatile and sort of unknown uh, as to what will happen with and that. And
1: finally in Europe, uh, I, I, I keep coming back to this, but the Baltic states are a real problem because particularly in the case of Estonia and Latvia, they both have substantial Russian minority and Putin has been playing on the grievances of those Russian minorities. It hasn't worked so far. and As I said, their, their diplomacy isn't entirely successful. Uh, It hasn't worked in part because those countries are much more prosperous than Russia itself. And so the Russian minority has done quite well in the Baltics and they only have to look at Russia to see by way of comparison. But that doesn't mean they haven't tried. And that is the weak point of NATO. If you can push them around, if you can do in the Baltic states what Putin has done in Ukraine, which is occupy a portion of it, uh, start a, a low simmering war and NATO doesn't come to their defense, then NATO's shown to be a hollow shell. And at that point, NATO really doesn't serve the function that, it, that answers Tucker Carlson's question, yeah. which is you don't want your son to die, then have a strong defense. Uh, if, if the defense is shown to be hollow, then we're in trouble. Dr.
0: Miner, as always, thank you very, very much. It's always illuminating talking to you, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Today, we've been talking with author and professor Dr. Stephen Miner, who is an expert on Russia. We've been talking about the current state of Russia and U.S. relations and the relations between President Trump and Vladimir Putin. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu dot edu.